We're going to be learning in Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, the sixth piece in Hilchus Trumos. This is Perak Yud Gimel Halacha Tes. And as in the previous piece, he's really discussing an issue which is ancillary to the laws of Truma. He's using the case of Truma as a springboard to discuss the issue of Ta'am Ke'ikar and Bitul, that the taste of a prohibited food can prohibit a mixture, but it can also be nullified. And this is a topic that he returns to a few times. He already discussed it in Chametzu Matzah, Perak Aleph Gimel. And he's going to again discuss it later on in Hilchus Masa Karbanos, Perak Yud Halacha Yud Beis. The Rambam writes, Lug Maim Shinofal Atishim Vitisha Lugin Yayin. If a lug, a measurement of water, falls into 99 equivalent lugin of wine. So you now have 100 lugin, 99 of them wine, one of them water. And then a measurement of truma wine falls into the whole mixture. So now you have 101 lugin. A hundred of them are wine. One of them is water. And of the hundred wine, one of them is truma. Now truma needs a hundred times more in order to be nullified. So the Rambam paskins that nidma hakol, in this case, the entire thing is considered meduma. It's all considered a prohibited mixture. She'ein hamayim ma'les hayayin. Because the water lug does not contribute to the mixture to nullify the wine. So we evaluate the wine mixture on its own. And of those hundred, there's only 99 which are permitted. Whereas you need a full hundred to nullify the truma. Therefore, the whole mixture is prohibited. Now, later on in Perak Tesvav, Halach Yudzayin, the Rambam has a different case. Shnei kosos shalyayin, echad truma ve'echad chulin. If you have two cups of wine, one is truma and one is permitted. Moza kol echad b'mayim kach ervan. Then you diluted each of those cups of wine and then the whole mixture got mixed together. So now all the water and both wines, the permitted and the prohibited, are all mixed together. So the way to evaluate this, says the Rambam, is roenis yayin achulin kilo eno. We remove the permitted wine from the case and we only look Look at the truma wine and the water. Because the wine and the water are enomino, they're two different species. So when it's two different species, it's easier to nullify it. So in this case, the only hope for nullifying the prohibited truma wine is to have it overpowered by the water, such so that if you can't taste the truma wine because of the volume of water, then the whole thing would be allowed. But if you can still taste the truma wine, even though there's water mixed in, then the whole thing would be prohibited. And the Rambam there concludes by referencing our halacha in Perak Yud Gimel, that the reason why you can't combine the water with the permitted chulin wine is because you can't use the water and the wine together. The water on its own would have to be able to nullify the truma wine. But if you need the help of the chulin wine with the water to nullify the truma wine, then that you can't do because you can't use wine and water together. So in both places, the Rambam says that the wine and the water won't combine. In the first case where you're trying to nullify the truma wine with the chulin wine, so then you need a hundred times chulin wine on its own without the water. And in the second case where you're nullifying the truma wine with water, 
So the water has to be able to nullify the truma wine on its own without relying on the chulin wine for help. Now the Ravid back in Perak Yud Gimel has a criticism of the Rambam, but he doesn't disagree practically with the Rambam's halacha, which as we'll see in a minute is based on explicit earlier sources. Rather, the Ravid disagrees with the Rambam's explanation for this halacha. So whereas the Rambam just said simply that water and wine can't combine, the Ravid has a fuller explanation for this, and he says, because the way that wine prohibits water is different than the way that wine prohibits wine. If prohibited wine falls into water, so then the prohibition is based on no St. Tom. If you can taste the wine, then it's prohibited. Whereas if the water overpowers the taste of the wine, then it's allowed. But truma wine in permitted wine is based on a hundred. If there's more than a hundred of truma wine, then it's prohibited. So because the measurements which prohibit it are different, therefore you can't combine wine and water together in order to permit this mixture because they're dealing with different tracks. It's not just that they're two different substances and liquids, but the very way that they nullify the truma is totally different, so therefore they can't combine. So that's why the Ravid agrees with the Rambam's case that when there's 99 lug measurements of permitted wine, and then one measurement of truma wine and one measurement of water falls in, so you can't use the water in that case to say that there's now 100 measurements of permitted liquid because the water's on a different track. The way that water nullifies truma wine is by nullifying the taste. But it doesn't participate in the hundred times more measurements, so therefore you have to use the wine on its own. And in this case, there's only 99 times more permitted wine, and therefore the whole mixture would be prohibited. So again, the Ramam and the Ravid agree practically, but they disagree on the explanation of why the wine and the water can't combine in that case to create a hundred times more permitted liquid. Now, the Rambam's two halachas that we saw are based on two earlier sources. The halacha in Perak Yud Gimel of the case of 99 wine that has one truma and one water that falls in. So that comes from the Tosefta and Trumas in Perak Vav, where it's a machlokas between Rabbi Nechemia and the Chachamim. Rabbi Nechemia actually holds that in that case, you could combine the 99 permitted wine with the water and nullify the one measurement of truma wine. But the Chachamim disagree, as we saw in the Rambam, and the Rambam holds like the Chachamim. And the second halacha from Perak Tesavav that has to do with the two cups, one was Chulin wine and one was Truma wine. So that comes from the Gemara Navodazar and Dafayin Gimel Amad Beis, where it has that exact case and it says the Rambam's halacha that if there's enough water to nullify the taste of the Truma wine, then you can drink it. Otherwise, you can't drink it. So the Rambam's two halachas come from those two sources. But again, the Rambam and the Ravid disagree as to the explanation for why you can't combine the permitted wine and the water. The Ravid holds that it's because they're on two different tracks and the measurements that they use for nullification are different. Whereas the Rambam just seems to state it as a fact because they're two different liquids. Now, Reb Chaim explains why the Rambam cannot hold of the Ravid's explanation. And this is a very fascinating explanation because the Rambam in Hilks Machalas Asuras Perak Tesavav Halacha Chav Gimel, 
The Rambam there says an interesting case that even if you have min b'she'en mino, so you have two different species, two different types of food, but it's e'ev she'lameka mataima, you can't detect the taste. So let's say, for example, maybe milk and almond milk. They're two different types of food, but you can't detect a difference in taste. So in that case, says the Rambam, you can fall back on the hundredth measurement, even though it's not a case of min bimino, it's min bisha'eno mino, where usually we have to use the nullification of the taste. But since we can't do that in that case, so then you are able to rely on the hundredth measurement. And if there's a hundred times more of the permitted liquid, then the whole mixture would be allowed to drink. So that's why the Rambam disagrees with the Raive, because he doesn't hold that there's two totally unrelated tracks. One is the hundred times for the same species and the other is nullifying the taste for two different species because the Rambam holds that there are cases when even though it's two different species, it's min b'she'eno mino, you could still fall back on the hundred times measurement. So it's not two distinct tracks and that's why the Rambam doesn't hold of the Ravid's explanation that this is why wine and water can't be combined because according to the Rambam, they should be able to be combined if that was the concern. Rather, the Rambam's concern is something else. You can't combine the wine and the water in order to nullify the truma wine. So now Reb Chaim turns to clarify the Rambam's approach. And he says that there's two ways to understand what the Rambam is saying. Option number one is that this halacha of meya, that you could nullify the prohibited liquid with a hundred times that, is set in a case of minbimino. It's all the same species. So in the same way that the halacha applies in case of all the same species, the nullification also has to be done all by the same species. In other words, you can't mix into the hundred times permitted liquid different species because that would negate the whole essence of this halacha, which is a min bimino halacha. So that's option number one. Option number two is that it's a halacha specifically in the meya. Nothing to do with min bimino, but the meya halacha is said that when you overpower something with a hundred times it, that hundred measurement all has to be from the same species. So it's unrelated to the min bimino aspect of this. In other words, it's not relevant which species is being nullified, but instead the key point is that the min which is doing the bittel, it's the species nullifying the other one, it has to all be consistent and it all has to be the same min. So those are two options as to how to more carefully define the Rambam's approach to this halacha. Now at the end of paragraph one, Rab Chaim brings a proof to the Rambam's position against the Raivit. It's a little bit out of order, but this seems to be going back to the whole approach of the Rambam against the Raivit. And the proof is because in the Tosefta that we mentioned before, where it records the Machlokas, Rabbi Nechemia and the Chachamim, as to whether wine and water can combine in order to do bittel. And the Chachamim, which the Rambam follows, hold that you cannot combine two different species. So the line before that applies the same machlokas to a related case, which is kemach and solas, if you have flour and fine sifted flour. So those are also considered two different species. And the Tosefta says that the Chachamim would say that in that case too, you cannot combine the kemach and the solas in order to to do bittel together, and the Rambam in Perak Yudal at Halacha Gimel also quotes that case.
Now, according to the Ravid, there's no reason why Kemach and Solas shouldn't be combined because they both have the same shear. So if the problem of water and wine is that they have different measurements to do bittel, that does not apply to Kemach and Solas, and they should be able to combine to do bittel. So the fact that the Tosefta applies this whole concept also to the case of flour and sifted flour indicates that it's not a problem of different measurements to do bittel, but it's inherent that you cannot use two different species in order to do bittel together. So that supports the explanation of the Rambam. Now I want to pause here for a moment because Reb Chaim's gone through a lot of information and usually I wait until the end of the recording to go through some conceptual analysis. But here there's two issues just in the simple reading that Reb Chaim's given us that I want to just point out. Number one is that Reb Chaim understands that there's a debate between the Rambam and the Raivid about how to understand this halacha. Now the Kesef Mishnah and the Radvaz, who are two very important early commentators on the Rambam, they both maintain that the Rambam doesn't mean anything all that different from the Raivid. So they read that when the Rambam said you can't combine water and wine to do bittel together, he didn't say it explicitly, but he has no trouble accepting the Raivid's explanation for that halacha because they have different shiurim. So those early commentators don't see that there's some big difference between the Rambam and the Raivid. On the other hand, Rab Chaim's reading is supported by the Raivid because he indicates that he's arguing on the Rambam. So there's certainly room to say that the Raivid and the Rambam are disagreeing, but again, there's another approach that maintains that you can just read the Raivid's reasoning into the Rambam's words. Now, the second point is maybe more problematic for Rab Chaim, and this point is made by his student, Rab Chatzkal Abramsky, in his Chazon Yechezkel commentary on the Tosefta, and he points out that the way Rab Chaim's understanding the Tosefta with regard to Kemach and Solas does not seem to be the way the Rambam understood it, and the reason for that is because the Rambam did not quote the case of Kemach and Solas in Perak Yud Gimel, where he quoted the halacha of water and wine, but rather he waited until Perak Yud Dalid, and there the context of the cases are different because it's not talking about actual mixtures. There it's talking about when you have two different objects. So for example, let's say with the flour, if you have a container and on one side is natural flour and on the other side is sifted flour, and then truma from one of them gets mixed in with its mino, so there the Tosefta is saying that you can't combine the other side of the container, which is a different pile, in order to create the hundred times of permitted food that's necessary here. So according to the Chazon Yechezkel, the Rambam divided the cases. In Perak Yud Gimel, he deals with things that are all mixed together. And in Perak Yud Dalit, he deals with things that are side by side. And the Rambam read the Tosefta also that the first part is dealing with side by side sifted flour and natural flour. And then the next case of water and wine is dealing with where it's mixed together. So this is problematic for Rab Chaim's analysis because he's bringing a proof from a line in the Tosefta which the Rambam himself interpreted as teaching us a different halacha. But the implication is that according to the Rambam, if the flour and the sifted flour were mixed together, then maybe they could combine in order to do bittel. So that would undercut the proof that Rab Chaim's trying to bring from this case to the Rambam's explanation. But now Rab Chaim gets to the main discussion of this piece, and he asks a very powerful question on the halacha from the Gemara Navodah Zara, which is the second halacha when there was two cups, one had wine of chulin, one had wine of truma. 
And this question goes both according to the Rambam and the Raivet. Rab Chaim points out that there are really two different distinct questions that are going on here. Number one is bittel, that you have to nullify the object. And according to halacha, the way to nullify is to have a majority of the permitted food mixed in with the minority of prohibited food. So that's what's called bittel. Then there's another halacha, which is called tam ke'ikar, which is that there can't be a remnant, a taste of the prohibited food. So if you're able to discern the taste of the prohibited food, even though in halacha we don't consider that food to actually be there because it's a minority, but you can't eat it because of the remnant of taste. Now, when it comes to taste, so there it's clear that even min mino, two different types of species, could combine in order to negate the taste because that's a practical process. You need to remove the taste and it doesn't matter how many species you use in order to get rid of that taste from this mixture. And the Rambam says this clearly in Hilchus Machalos Asuras Perak Tesvav The case is where you're cooking chelev alia and grisin. You're cooking the permitted fats of the animal with beans, and into the pot falls the chelev haklayos, the fat from the kidneys, which is prohibited. So now mixed into the dish of permitted fat and beans is the prohibited fat. And the Rambam says very clearly that we combine the permitted chelev and the beans as if it's one mixture and we evaluate whether together the kosher chelev and the beans are able to negate the taste of the prohibited chelev. So you see very clearly that even though the beans and the kosher chelev are two different species, they're able to combine in order to negate the prohibited taste. And again, the reason is because the point here is to get rid of the taste. So however you do it works. So coming back to our case where there's two cups of wine, one of chulin, one of truma, and they get mixed in. So Rab Chaim asks, why does the Gemara Navodah and the Rambam Paskins this say that we remove the chulin wine from the evaluation and the water alone has to be able to overpower the taste of the truma wine? Why don't we apply the same rules that we can combine two different mixtures in order to remove the taste? So use the water and the chulin wine in order to remove the taste of the truma wine. That's with regards to tam ki'ikar. And with regards to the bitl, so there's more water than truma wine. So there's a minority of truma wine versus the majority of water. With regards to that case, it does make sense that you can't use the chulin wine to help with the bitl. But once you've accomplished the bitl, why can't you use the chulin wine to help remove the taste of the truma wine? But the Gemara and the Rambam say clearly that you need the water alone to be able to remove the taste of the truma wine, and you can't combine it with the chulin wine. So that's Rab Chaim's question. Why, when it comes to nullifying the taste, don't we say that you can combine two mixtures here, the same as we said that you can combine the kosher chelev and the beans in order to nullify the taste? of the non-kosher chelev. And the exact same question Rab Chaim also poses on a very similar case with regards to yayin nesach, which is wine that was used for Avodah Zarah. So the Rambam in Hilks Macholos Asuros, Perk Design Halacha Aleph, says that in a case where you had a barrel of wine and then water fell into it and then Yayin Nesach fell into it. So again, the Rambam uses the language that you remove the kosher wine from the equation. And if there's enough water alone 
to nullify the taste of the yayin nesach, then it's kosher. But if there's not enough volume in the water alone to negate the taste of the yayin nesach, you can't combine it with the kosher wine in order to negate the taste of the yayin nesach. So again, it's the same question. Why not say that only with regards to bitol do you need the water to act alone? Because there you can't combine water and wine. But when it comes to removing the taste, why not use the kosher wine also? Because it helps remove the taste of the ayin nesach. So we have the same question in two different cases. One is where chulin wine and water got mixed with truma wine. And one is where kosher wine and water got mixed with yayin nesach. And in both of them, the Gemara Navodizara, followed by the Rambam, indicate that the water alone has to nullify the taste. You can't use the kosher wine to help it. So to answer these questions, Rab Chaim introduces the key conceptual point of this piece. And this is an issue about which he goes back and forth throughout his Sefer. And that is when you nullify the taste of Tam Ke'ikar, is that, as we said before, just a practical process that you need to remove the taste? Or is that a halachic process that you need to do bitl? So Rab Chaim begins with that second, more conceptual approach, which is that removing the taste is also based on the halachic concept of bitl. And the reason is, even when you have a mixture of two different species, and there's more than 60 times of the permitted food against the prohibited food, so you can't taste it. So this is the classic case of removing the taste. We all know about that 60 times more removes the taste. But still, the taste is not totally removed. It's masked over, but it's never totally removed. It's mixed in now with the permitted taste, but there always is a remnant of the prohibited food's taste. It's just masked over and mixed in with the taste of the permitted food. And Rab Chaim has a great thought experiment here. He says, Let's say you took 61 spices and foods and mixed them all together, an equal amount of all of them. You're going to have all 61 tastes mixed together. You're not going to say that if you have 61 equal parts of different foods, it's a tasteless food. The opposite. You have 61 tastes which all blend together. So in the same way, says Rab Chaim, it's not correct to say that when you have 60 times more of the kosher food, the taste of the non-kosher food is totally removed, but rather it's blended into the point where it's not discernible, but it leaves a mark. So why does that little teeny remnant of the taste not prohibit the whole mixture? So that's based on bittel. The way that bittel is formulated is that once you've negated the taste to the point where it's so indiscernible that there's 60 times volume of kosher food against it, so at that point bittel kicks in and it removes the little tiny remnant of the taste which is mixed in with the entire mixture. So that's how Rab Chaim formulates this idea that even when it comes to overwhelming the taste by 60 times more, 
that still relies on the concept of bitol to negate at the end the little remnant of taste which remains. Now Rab Chaim has a second formulation of this idea which is less broad in scope and it's much more limited to the cases that we're dealing with about wine and water. And that is that in a regular case of Tom, when you have 60 times the volume, it could be that that negates the taste without bitol. The very fact that you physically can't taste the prohibited food anymore means that this food now becomes permitted. But in these cases, there's something different because the prohibited food is wine, either of truma or of yayin nesach. And even after you nullify the taste, you're still going to taste wine because there's a large volume of kosher wine. So it's not that at the end of the day, you're going to taste no wine at all. It's that you're not going to taste the truma wine or the yayanesah wine, but of course you're going to be tasting a lot of wine, which is the permitted wine. So this case is different than other cases because even at the end of the day, you're not going to lose the taste of that prohibited food entirely. You're just going to lose the taste which comes from the prohibited aspect of it. So there, says Rab Chaim, it could be that you do need bitol. Even if in a regular case you don't need bitol, but when you're still going to be tasting the very food which you're nullifying the taste of, so then you do rely on bitol to say that this mixture is kosher. So either way, Rab Chaim is saying that in the two cases of the Gemara Navodizara, you do require some bitol, even though they relate to the issue of tam. It could be in a regular case of tam, you don't require bitol, or it could be that this is a broad principle that even in regular cases of Tom, there does need to be a concept of Bittel in order to make it work. So now once you say that there's an element of Bittel going on in these cases, then that explains why you need the water alone to have sufficient volume to nullify the prohibited wine and you can't use the permitted wine because both of these cases have something unique about them. When it comes to Yayin Nesach, we hold Min Bimino Lo Batal, that you can't use the same species, meaning other wine, in order to nullify the Yayin Nesach. So once there's an element of bitol in this case, then you cannot use the kosher wine to get rid of the taste of the ayin nesach. It has to come totally from the water. Similarly, in the case of truma, where there's a halacha that you need meya a hundred times more, so there also you can't combine the wine and the water. And there's two formulations to that, as we said before. Either the rivids, because they have different shiurim, there's different measurements that water and wine use, or the rambam holds that it's a special halacha when it comes to meya, that with regards to truma, you cannot combine wine and water. But either way, everyone agrees that with regards to truma, you can't can't combine the wine and the water together. So that's why the water needs a sufficient volume on its own. But this is all different than regular cases of bitol. For example, the case of the kosher chalev and the beans, where there is no special halacha that the chalev and the beans can't combine. So there they do combine in order to nullify the taste of the non-kosher chalev. So Rab Chaim's explanation of these two cases of Yain Nesach and Yain Truma has two steps. Number one is that there is an element of bitol going on over here. It's not just masking over the taste. And number two is that in both of those cases, you're not allowed to use wine as part of the bitol. So that's why in those cases, they're an exception. And the water alone has to overwhelm the taste of the prohibited wine. 
So this resolves the question that Rab Chaim began with. And now Rab Chaim gets back to his main conceptual point, which is to broaden out this notion that even when you're masking over Tom, it still relies on Bittel. And Rab Chaim has two proofs to this point. Number one is at the end of paragraph two, he quotes that Rashi in Chulin Adaf Kuftesimad Aleph says that according to Rabbi Yehuda, that min bimino lo batel, you can't do bitol within the same species. So Rashi expands this halacha to mean also that even when you have two different species, you need 60 times the volume from the enomino alone. And you can't combine the mino together with the enomino to create the 60 times volume. Even though Rabbi Yehuda is only talking about bitol. So why should that apply even when you're using the 60 times to negate the taste? So Rab Chaim says that you see from that Rashi that even when it comes to negating the taste, you still follow the same rules of Bittal. And again, that's based on his idea that masking over the taste requires also the concept of Bittal in order to make it work. The second proof is in the third paragraph. And here, Rab Chaim does something unusual. He starts quoting all sorts of sources other than the Rambam and the Gemara, which are his usual sources. And he asks on the Shulchan Aruch, Yeridea Simen Tzadichesif test. The case over there is that you have 59 portions of kosher and into it falls one portion of chalev, prohibited fat, and one portion of blood. So the Shulchan Aruch says you can play sort of a game and you can take the 59 kosher portions with the blood and nullify the chalev. And then you can also take the 59 kosher portions with the chalev and nullify the blood. So then you can eat it. Even though there aren't 60 kosher portions, there's only 59, but because the blood and the chalev are so different, they each combine with the kosher portions in order to negate the other prohibited piece. So Rab Chaim asks, how could the Shulchan Aruch go so far as to say that you can even eat this mixture, even if you hold that Isur and Mivatlin Zezzeh, that you could play this game and use the chalev and the blood against each other, but that's only that a person won't get punished for having eaten it. But the Tur and the Beis Yosef at the end of Simen Tzadiches both say that even though you don't get punished, it's still prohibited to eat. So why is the Shulchan Aruch going so far as to say over here that not only does the person not get punished for eating it, but it's even permitted to be eaten? That's Rab Chaim's question on the ruling of the Shulchan Aruch. So he quotes that the source for this halacha is in a Chuvsa Rush, Klal Chaf, and there the Rush explains that it's based on the fact that since blood and chalev have such different tastes, so when you combine them with the permitted pieces, you can't taste at all the other one. So because it totally masks over the taste of both the chalev and the dam, therefore it becomes permitted to eat the whole mixture. But Rab Chaim continues to ask on this, based on what he just said, that even when you negate the taste, it still relies on bitol. So you can't apply bitol over here because you don't have 60 portions of kosher food. You only have 59 and you're using one of the prohibited portions against it, but that's not valid bitol. So if you don't have bitol, then it should be back to being prohibited to eat. So how can the rush say that because you've totally masked over the taste, you can eat it? So Rab Chaim gives a subtle answer, and this is also a two-step answer. 
Point number one, he says, is that when we say Isur and Mivatlin Zazzet, that two prohibited things could be Mivatal each other, but it's still going to be prohibited to eat, that doesn't mean that the whole concept of Bittal is irrelevant in this case. Rather, it means that there is Bittal in this case, but it only gets you so far because the Bittal can accomplish that it removes a specific prohibition but it cannot make the food kosher when you're dealing with actual non-kosher food. So even though bitl applies in this case, that just means that it removes the specific prohibition of whatever it was, and it turns it into a generic prohibition. So that's a lower level, it downgrades it, but it cannot make it totally allowed when both of the foods that are nullifying each other are both prohibited to eat. And that explains the difference, Reb Chaim says, why there's no punishment, even though it's still prohibited. Because a punishment has to be connected to a specific prohibited food. A person has to be punished for eating pork or for eating truma, something very specific. But for eating food that's generically prohibited, it's still usser, but a person won't get punished. So that's how the bitl here works, that it transforms it and downgrades it from whatever specific isurim they had, and they nullify each other into just a lower level generic Easter. But that's why it's still prohibited to eat. Now, the second step is that once you say there is bitl, so even though the bitl cannot remove the total prohibition, but it is mevatel, the taste. The bitl is going to totally work with regard to the taste. And that's because, as the Rush said, the taste of blood and the taste of chalev are so different that each one of them can combine with the 59 permitted portions in order to totally nullify the taste of the other one. So with regard to the halacha of Tam Ke'ikar, there is a full and complete bitl in this case. So that's why the rush says that it's permitted to eat at the end of the day, because there is a concept of bitl. The bitl totally removes the tam of either of the prohibited foods. And then with regard to the bitl of the object itself, you do have a majority of kosher food. So all the problems are taken care of. Meaning, in a regular case of Yisur and Mivatlin Zezzeh, where you don't have the majority of kosher food also, so then the prohibited items do cancel each other out, but that's only to downgrade it that the whole mixture is generically usher, but it's still prohibited to eat. In this case, because you have enough kosher food that it can do bitl on the non-kosher food, and each of the non-kosher food items can combine with the kosher food in order to do bitl on the taste of the other non-kosher food item, so the whole mixture becomes mutter to eat, not just that you don't get punished, but that you're even allowed to go ahead and eat it, and that explains the ruling of the Shulchan Aruch based on the rush. But now Rab Chaim gets to his final point, and he says that the whole way the rush formulated this halacha is actually even a proof to Reb Chaim's theory that when it comes to negating the taste, you also require bitl. And the reason is because the rush brings in this whole halacha of Yisur and Mivatlin Zezzeh that it depends on whether prohibited food items could nullify other prohibited food items. It's unclear why the rush needs to even get involved with that complication. Why not just say that because you have 60 times the taste of the blood and 60 times the taste of the chalev, so therefore the whole mixture becomes permitted because practically on a physical level, you can't taste either of the 
prohibited foods. Why does the rush need to evoke this concept that prohibited foods can nullify each other? Says Rab Chaim, that shows us that when it comes to nullifying the prohibited taste, it's not just a practical, physical sensation, but it also depends on the halacha of bitl. And that's why the rush has to point out that according to the position of any sur mevatlin zezeh, that you can't use prohibited foods for bitl, so then they also can't help remove the taste of the prohibited items. It's only if you hold that Isur and Mivatlin says that you could use non-kosher food in order to do bitl. So then even though usually the bitl isn't going to help transform the mixture into kosher because the food is all prohibited, but in the Rush's case where you have 59 kosher times, so that can do the bitl on the prohibited foods. And then the prohibited foods are able to kick in and help with the bitl of the taste. But that's all dependent on the fact that they are included in the concept of bitl. So you see from this, says Rab Chaim, that when we deal with overwhelming and negating a taste, removing the Tom Ke'ikar problem, that's intertwined with it being part of bitl. It's based on the concept of bitl too. And this proves his theory that there aren't two separate tracks. One is bitl and one is removing the taste. But they're both based on the same concept of bitl. And based on this, says Rab Chaim, coming back to the original question of this piece, that of course is going to answer why in the two cases in the Gemara and Avodah Zarah, the water alone needs to overwhelm the prohibited wine and you can't combine it with the permitted wine. The reason is because even though in those cases there is enough water to do bitl, so all we're talking about is removing the taste of the prohibited wine, but that also depends on bitl. And since in those cases you're not allowed to use the kosher wine as part of the bitl process against the non-kosher wine, so therefore you also can't use it in order to remove the taste of the non-kosher wine, and there has to be enough water to remove the taste of the non-kosher wine by itself. So that's Rab Chaim's piece. It's a fairly difficult piece, but the key conceptual point that Rab Chaim stressed throughout is a very strong defense of this idea that removing the taste of a prohibited food, which is known as tam ke'ikar, is not just a matter of taste buds, of seeing whether you can taste the food practically, but it's based on the halachic concept of bitl. So in cases where bitl is not going to apply, then you also can't resolve the tam ke'ikar. Only when you have the bitl mechanism, then you can also use it to resolve the tam ke'ikar problem. And there's a more minor point at the beginning, which is that Rab Chaim believes there's a machlokas between the Rambam and the Raivid as to the reason why you're not allowed to combine water with permitted wine in order to nullify wine of truma. According to the Raivid, it's because the water and the wine, in the case of truma, use different measurements for bitl, so they're on two different tracks and they can't be combined. And according to the Rambam, it's a more essential, inherent halacha that you can't combine the wine and the water. And Rab Chaim has two formulations of that. Either it's because there's a halacha that when you use a hundred times more to nullify truma, whatever you're nullifying has to be the same species as that which is being nullified. So the full hundred would have to come from the same species. Or the other way to say it is that it's not relevant what species is being nullified, but the species which is doing the nullification all has to be a full unit. It can't be a mixture of different species.